welcome back to Scriptures with Momentary. I'm the mom, Linda Weiniger, and yep, you're right, I am sick this week with the COVID probably because both Ben and dad have had the COVID, um, so it was pretty sad, but anyways, wanted to uh, read these chapters anyway because they are awesome. It's Genesis chapter 3 to 4 and Moses chapters 4 and 5. And I just want to tell you that these are going to be my favorite chapters to read. So I'm hoping it doesn't get long, but it could get long because we do have Genesis chapter 3 uh, verse 15 in here where it's the interaction between Eve and Satan and Heavenly Father and telling um, Eve that she that there's enmity that he puts between us. And anyway, it's it's powerful. So. That's what that's what I like about these chapters. So we'll see what it says. Um, okay, so Satan deceives Eve and Adam and Eve are cast out of the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve have children. Cain follows Satan and slays Abel. So those are the things that we're going to be covering. Um, basically, the three greatest events that have happened in eternity are the creation, the fall, and the atonement of Jesus Christ. So we covered the creation last week, and now we're covering the fall. Um, and President Joseph Fielding Smith, he says, well, it wasn't a shameful fall. What did Adam do? The very thing the Lord wanted him to do. And I, and I hate to hear anybody call it a sin, for it wasn't a sin. Did Adam sin when he partook of the forbidden fruit? I say to you, no, he did not. Now, this is the way I interpret that. Having quoted Moses three sixteen to 17, the Lord said to Adam, here is the tree of knowledge of good and evil. If you want to say here, then you cannot eat of that fruit. If you want to say here, then I forbid you to eat it. But you may act for yourself and you may eat of it if you want to. And if you eat it, you will die. Mortality was created through the eating of the forbidden fruit. If you want to call it forbidden, but I think the Lord has made it clear that it was not forbidden. He merely said to Adam, if you want to stay here, this is the situation. If so, don't eat it. <laughs> I love this. Um, and this was an address given by again president field joseph fielding smith to a seminary and institute um employees audience and this was in january 13 1961 so i love i love this and it's true like normally when the lord um gives commandments he says thou shalt not thou shalt not right and he doesn't necessarily say but you can choose to decide if you do or don't want to do it right he doesn't say that um but he said that here which is a little different um and he didn't say that bad things were going to happen he just said that he would die right and so anyway we're going to get into reading it and again i'm going to read through genesis first because that's what we had first and that's what joseph smith was using um, and then we're going to read through Moses. Um, so, but I'm going to read the, uh, account or I'm going to read the quotes as if we are reading from the Moses. So I might get 
a little bit different. Um, for Moses 4 and 5, the those are Joseph Smith translations for Genesis 3 and 4. Therefore, Moses, Moses 4 and 5 are um, what the Redhead Hostess um, pages included in their commentary. Um, but they would be nearly identical for Genesis chapters anyway. So anyway, this is... Actually, we are going to start with Moses chapter 4 verses 1 through 4. And then we'll start in Genesis chapter 1. I mean, chapter 3. Because um, these four verses are critical uh, because they're not actually in Genesis. So, in Moses chapter 4 says, How Satan became the devil. He tempts Eve, Adam and Eve fall, and death enters the world. Okay, and I, the Lord God, spake unto Moses, saying that Satan, whom thou hast commanded in the name of mine only begotten, is the same which was from the beginning. And he came before me, saying, Behold, here am I, send me. I will be thy son, and I will redeem all mankind. That one soul shall not be lost, and surely I will do it. Wherefore, give me thine honor. But behold, my beloved son, which was my beloved and chosen from the beginning, said unto me, Father, thy will be done and the glory be thine forever. Wherefore, because that Satan rebelled against me and sought to destroy the agency of man, which I, the Lord God, had given him, and also that I should give unto him mine own power, by the power of mine only begotten, I caused that he should be cast down. And he became Satan, yea, even the devil, the father of all lies, to deceive and to blind men, and to lead them captive at his will, even as many as would not hearken unto my voice. Okay, so um, we have some commentary on that. So Moses had already had his own experience with Satan, and now he will learn who Satan was in the pre-mortal life and why he commanded Moses to worship him. These verses are treasures for us because they give us critical understanding. The name Satan means an adversary. Adversary means an opponent. And we learn who this adversary truly is. In the premortal council, Satan came before God saying, Behold, here am I, send me, and I will be thy son. He wanted to be the only begotten, and he wanted God's power. Remember in Moses 119, even after Satan was cast out of heaven, this is what he still claimed to be. To Moses, Satan cried with a loud voice and ranted upon the earth and commanded, saying, I am the only begotten. Worship me. And when Moses refused and explained that Satan had none of God's glory, Satan gnashed his teeth and, ra and raged. So this is found in Moses chapter 1, verse 19. Notice all the me's and I's in verse 1 compared to the thy and thine uh and thine in Jesus's response in verse two, Satan focuses, Satan's focus was on himself and Jesus was fixed on the father. Elder Neil A. Maxwell pointed out, note the ego dripping from only three lines, two me's and four eyes. Those vertical pronouns are usually accompanied by unbending knees because the proud, as in Jesus's parable, trust in themselves that they are righteous and despise others. That's found in Luke 18, 9. And that was uh, that whole quote was in Elder Neil A. Maxwell's General Conference talk, October 1987. And President Dallin H. Oaks used these verses to explain these doctrines. 
Thus, Satan proposed to carry out the father's plan in a way that would prevent the accomplishment of the father's purpose and give Satan his glory. Satan, Satan's proposal would have ensured perfect equality. It would redeem all mankind that not one soul would be lost. There would be no agency or choice by anyone and therefore no need for opposition. There would be no test, no failure, and no success. There would be no growth to attain the purpose the father desires for his children. The scriptures record that Satan's opposition resulted in a war in heaven. Satan's purpose was to gain for himself the father's honor and power. President Dallin H. Oaks, April 2016 General Conference. Okay, so this is so crazy because it just kind of reminds me of like um, the whole everybody gets a trophy, right? Like if everybody gets a trophy, why does it matter if you even try? Why would anybody even try? If everybody was going to be exalted, if everybody was going to be, you know, um, successful, if everybody was going to do, if everybody's just going to get back, why would anybody even try? And how would life feel? It would feel really apathetic, really worth nothing, really like what, like, dad and I had a conversation about desire and like, how do you instill desire in people? Well, you certainly don't instill desire when everybody gets the exact same thing, no matter what they do. That's for sure. Not the way they, that you instill desire. Um, so it's just kind of interesting how, you know, as parents and as a parent, I would love to make my kids do everything. That would be amazing. But I see the wisdom in allowing them the freedom to choose. Um, kind of like what we're doing with Finn and his phone right now. You know, we're trying to give him the freedom to choose the amount of time he, he allots for himself on his phone. And we're trying to help him learn those boundaries and, those, and to set those boundaries and to be responsible with his time, things like that. But also at the same time, it's hard for us to put super huge restrictions because of the fact that we used to have untethered amounts of time on our phones and we had to figure out how to manage our phones and how to be masters over our phones, which we are not yet, but you know, to a certain extent we are and not let it master us. And so it's hard because we are at a specific level with experience, but he is just a child still learning. And so I want him to continue to be excited about the prospect of having a phone and discovering all the wonderful things that he can accomplish using his phone that can help him um, and not resent the fact that he has a phone and be like, you know what, this was cool, but I don't even care. I don't want one. Or resent us for putting all those restrictions and then him deciding, you know what, forget it. I'm going to get like a burner phone and I'm just going to do whatever I want because I don't like these restrictions on myself, you know, and my parents are too strict and blah, blah, blah. Like, I don't want him to go to that extreme either. I want him to choose to have the freedom, um, to do like anything that he wants at the same time, giving him the education and the knowledge um, to know not to do everything at the same time. Does that make sense? Anyway, so I can see how Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ would probably both think it's a sweet plan, but then realize like, you know, really, it's not that sweet. Like, I appreciate you wanting to bring back every single child because the thought of losing anybody would be the worst. And, and so it, 
it seems so clear cut to us because we don't get to see the whole thing. But I like that they called it a war in heaven because it would be an internal war. Like if somebody told me that I would lose a third of my children, I only have three, so I'd have to pick one. And I don't think I could bear that. And so there would be a war. There'd be a huge war. There'd be a wrestle. Like, and I don't think it would be so much that I would be fighting against my kids, right? But I would be fighting for my kids to allow them to choose to be with me. Um, even though I'd want to fight... Um, to keep them, right? Uh, and that's kind of, and, and not kind of, but that's what, what Jesus Christ went came down here for, to save all of us. And all we have to do is be willing to repent, be willing to change, be willing to uh, just be better than we were the day before, you know? And Satan makes it seem so hard and so impossible that we can become better, like as if we need to be perfect, but we don't have to be perfect. Christ was perfect so that we didn't have to be. And I just hope that our kids, our children will choose to want to be with us. And if we try to boss them around and try to manage everything for them, they are not going to want to be with us. You know, I want to be, I want to be wanted. I mean, and even as a spouse, isn't that what you want um, to be wanted? And so I can see that that war um, would have been so hard, you know, uh, and I don't necessarily think that we picture it the way that that it really was, because I would hate to lose any one of my friends or my sisters or anything. Um, and something that I really love from the last Spider-Man movie was that Spidey had asked for, and this is a spoiler, so if you haven't watched the most recent Spider-Man, I don't remember what it's called, but (laughs) this is the year 2022, the most recent Spider-Man. Okay, you go calculate it. Anyway, um, I loved how Spidey, well, Spidey had to go and get everybody's memory reversed so that, like, it wouldn't ruin his life and it wouldn't ruin the life of his friends. And anyway, so it turns out that his girlfriend and his best friend had to forget also. Oh, excuse me. And it was so poignant to me the scenes of where he was saying goodbye to his friends it felt like i'd done that before like in heaven you know during that war in heaven where we fought for our agency but where we also had to really make promises and covenants with our friends to promise them that we would come and find them because some of us 
were blessed enough to know probably that we would be born into families who would receive the gospel, receive the fullness. Some of us were probably told that we would be in families where we didn't have that blessing. And we were promising each other. I, I just know this from the bottom of my heart, from my from my soul, my being. I know that there have been friends in my life who have been there for me like that, who made those covenants, made those promises to me that they would find me and make sure that I would get back. And I know that I made promises and covenants with my friends and promised them that I would help them find their way back too. And so it just... That, that scene in Spider-Man was just so real, so strong. And I hope that that I can continue to fight the adversaries fiery darts and his enticings to keep me from my job (laughs) that I can push through that because it is so hard right to talk to a friend about the gospel and it is so hard especially when they don't have the gospel and you're just like trying to be good and trying to be telling them about stuff but you know eventually you're going to face them in real life (laughs) but in your real spiritual full life and their spiritual full life. And you're going to have to face them and be like, I just didn't have the courage to tell you what's up and that you needed to get baptized or invite you to get baptized or whatever. And we're going to feel awful. And then they're going to have to take even longer to to get baptized and take even longer to gain their own testimony of Jesus Christ. And so, yeah, anyway... Uh, yeah, go look up that scene in Spider-Man. It's super, super powerful. Um, and you go watch that and, and then come back and tell me how that makes you feel. Like, if it doesn't help remind you that that's really what happened in the pre-exist, pre-mortal life. Okay, um, and then Elder Neil A. Maxwell asks a question. He says, does his statement, give me thine honor, mean that he wanted to mount an insurrection to supplant even god the father ironically understanding satan's position and desires only helps us see that jehovah was the one who was worthy to be the only begotten while satan was seeking his own glory jehovah said father thy will be done and thy glory be thine forever and then in moses 4 4 the lies Lies deceive blind captive. Those are words that describe Satan. President Benson warned Satan has a great power over men to lead them captive at his will. Even as many as would not hearken to the voice of the Lord. His evil influence may be manifest through governments, through false educational, political, economic, religious, and social uh, philosophies through secret societies and organizations and through myriads of other forms his power and influence are so great that if possible he would deceive the very elect as the second coming of the lord approaches satan's work will intensify through numerous insidious deceptions president ezra taft benson april 1978 general conference 
And that kind of reminds me of another quote that uh, I won't be able to quote right now, but I quoted it in my Warrior Woman podcast, and I can't remember what it is, even about actually now that I'm trying to think what it is. So that's weird. Um, oh, yes, uh, the quote actually is something like similar to what President Ezra Taft Benson says. He says it's going to be more blatant and more open and more obvious. That's that's like a rough quote. Uh, but Satan's attempts and attacks are going to be like that. And I totally think that that's accurate because that's what I see. And so anyway, um, that's as far as we're going to go. <laughs> now we're going to read Genesis chapter 3 um, because this is where it kind of leaves off and it starts. Okay, so chapter three, the serpent Lucifer deceives Eve. She and then Adam partake of the forbidden fruit. Her seed, Christ, will bruise the serpent's head. The roles of woman and of man are explained. Adam and Eve are cast out of the garden of Eden. Adam presides. Eve becomes the mother of all living. Okay, verse one. Now the serpent was more subtle than all, than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden. God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die, for God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, She took of the fruit thereof and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. Okay, some of the things I do like about this here um, is, or that we notice anyway, I don't know if I like it per se, but God didn't really say, thou shalt not eat, remember? Like, he didn't give the thou shalt not and then continue on with commandments. But he just said that um, that we should die. And I don't know that they knew if death was good or bad. I think just dying is just like another stage of life, right? We just think of it as bad because it makes people sad. But... <clears throat> like extremely sad but death in and of itself is just something that's part of life and so it's not inherently good or bad it's just a way to transition into a different stage of life um spiritual life life with a body life with the body or and with your spirit so i think it just depends on um, how you look at it. So I do like how how Eve said that they would just die. 
oh, excuse me, but it wasn't good or bad. It was just like, that was just another stage of life. Um, okay. And here it has, um, some commentary. These verses are so valuable to us, like a manual to show us Satan's tactics. Verse, uh, six, which, um, is probably verse two actually in Moses. I mean, in Genesis, because we're reading the Moses. Anyway, so it says, explains that Satan sought also to beguile Eve. Uh, beguile means to elude by craft, and he did so through a serpent. What better creature than a serpent? Snakes can come upon you silently and without warning. Their poison can be severe. They lurk. They are dangerous. To an unexperienced soul, the snake may seem harmless, but they can be full of poison. Satan had a plan. He approached Eve and asked about her freedom to eat of every tree of the garden. He was reminding her that she was free to eat of every tree. How subtle he was. Eve then explained the command to not eat from or even touch the tree of knowledge of good and evil because they would die. What Satan, what Satan, what does Satan then do? He promised that he would, that she would not die, which was a real deceptive answer to her concern. Did Adam and Eve understand that they would not immediately physically die, but be given time to repent? Did they understand that they would immediately suffer spiritual death? What was their understanding at this point? How very sly of him. He gave her a desirable promise and then focused on something she did not yet have, but something she desired, that ye shall be as gods, knowing good from evil. And then the fruit became pleasant to the eyes, and she partook and also gave unto her husband. Oh boy, this floored me. Hi, what happened? It's very sad, you lost all your foods. Okay, now she has a Cheeto. So she's good for a teensy bit. Okay, general Christianity views Eve as weak and easily corrupted. Many see her as inferior since she was created after Adam. But Elder Bruce R. McConkie taught Eve, a daughter of God, one of the spirit offspring of Almighty Elohim, was among the noble and great in preexistence. She ranked in spiritual stature, in faith and devotion, in conformity to eternal law with Michael. Um, I love that. That's amazing. Eve, this was from a talk given and titled Eve and the Fall. An article in LDS Living by Beverly Campbell, author of Eve and the Choice Made in Eden, gave this insight into Eve's choice and suggests that Eve wasn't completely tricked, but that Eve exercised her intelligence in making this choice. And... Also, I like before I read that quote, I just wanted to say that it's interesting that Satan wanted to point out all the things that um, that they didn't have. Like instead of being like, hey, this like go into a different tree like this tree's amazing, isn't it? He instead um, tried to make it seem like we need like they needed to focus on the one thing that they didn't. Um, that they didn't get freely, right? The one thing that they had to, that they hadn't partaken of yet. And that's what, it's what 
the adversary is always trying to do. He's always trying to trick us, always trying to make us forget all the things that we have instead of being grateful for everything that we do have and, you know, making it seem like we need um, those things that we maybe have been warned not to get or not to go to a certain place or, you know, things like that. Um, but I like that quote from that I just read that she was exercising um, her intelligence. I think that's amazing. Um, and maybe the fact that they were in the Garden of Eden, maybe they didn't realize how much time had actually passed. Sometimes when we're having fun, maybe we forget about how much time has actually passed, right? And maybe because we forget how much time has passed, um, we don't really see or remember the things that we wanted to do. Kind of like when we're walking around back and forth, you know, amongst our chores, we have a lot of chores to do. Anyway, so I I would totally believe, and um, maybe this is something that can give you extra thoughts, um, but and ideas of how this situation went down, but maybe, maybe the adversary, maybe Satan was tempting her and it looks like he was tricking her and everything, but maybe he was just reminding her because she forgot about the tree and was going about her duties and chores and, you know, and just forgot about the tree and that the adversary thought that he was tricking her, but she was just like, oh yeah, I remember now that the that God had commanded us not to eat of this unless we wanted to die. And dying is our next step. And so maybe Satan was just there. And although he was trying to thwart, you know, Heavenly Father's plan, maybe he was actually there to help her and help her realize like, hey, this is your next step, right? Sometimes getting distracted um, from what we're doing can distract us or sometimes what we're doing distracts us from our next step, but then kind of, um, even the adversary, you know, when, when he tempts us or when he tries us, it kind of can remind us, oh yeah, we're doing this. This is what we're doing. Even though he's like Satan and he thinks he's working against us, sometimes he makes mistakes because he's not perfect, right? And he could be deceiving us and trying all these things, but then if we can use his deceptions to our advantage, right, then we come out on top. Kind of like when we say the affirmation, things don't happen to me, they happen for me, right? And yeah, we can look at negative things in our lives and sins in our lives that were negative, but at the same time, we can think of them in a positive light. Like, had that not happened, I wouldn't do this or I wouldn't know this. And so it does kind of help a little bit, maybe looking at things in a different light afterward. And so I love that, uh, the idea of the fact that maybe... He thought he was tempting her, but she was like, oh, you know what? Thanks for reminding me about this, Satan. I remember that um, he did say that we would die and 
that that would actually possibly help. Help us progress to this next stage, which is death. But death to them, you know, they didn't see it as a negative thing. <coughs> At least I don't think that they would have. I mean, they all the animals live forever. They live forever. So for them, they didn't know what death was. Oh, excuse me. So they probably didn't realize that it could be a sad thing or a negative thing. Yeah, now if you're like, if you jump off this building, you're going to die. Like, that is bad. You know what I mean? So so it just it's just totally different um, of an experience that they had versus the experience we have with death. So anyway, okay, so I'm going to read this quote. Again, it was from Beverly Campbell. Dr. Niyama Ashkenazi. Wow. Okay, we're starting with that. Explained that the Hebrew word that has come to be translated as beguiled is a rare verb, a rare verb form of unusual depth and richness. Because of it, because it is a form no longer in use, it is almost impossible to translate. It is safe to say that it indicates an intense multi-level experience which evokes great emotional psychological and or spiritual trauma uh askin ac wrote of this in her book eve's journey the use of this word in the biblical narrative makes it clear that eve was motivated by a complex set of inner drives anchored not only in her physical but also in her intellectual nature Ashkensei further indicated her belief that this intense multi-level experience caused Eve to step back, reevaluate, reassess, and ponder the tree of knowledge of good and evil. I love that so much and totally kind of in line with what I just said. So that's awesome. Didn't even know that. Perfect. Okay, well, that's super validating. All right, so we're going to keep reading. Okay, we are on verse... Seven, and the eyes of them both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves apron. Aprons. Okay, so we have some more commentary because <laughs> it's amazing. I love commentary from Redhead Hostess. Okay, um, an interesting detail is that Jewish tradition teaches that the tree of knowledge of good and evil was a fig tree. Whether or not the tree was a fig tree, they did make aprons of fig leaves, which holds great symbolism. Figs have an extraordinary number of seeds. Some fruits, like a peach, have a uh, a single seed. Others, like an apple, have around 10 seeds. Then others, like a tomato, have around 200 seeds. A fig can have up to 1,600 seeds, making them... Oh boy, Flora's getting creative making them a symbol of being able to be fruitful and multiply a beautiful expression of the power that Adam and Eve in their newly fallen nature had. As many have explained, the fall is downward yet forward. The Lord then came to Adam and Eve to to hold them accountable for their choice. Okay, so we haven't read quite that far yet. Um... 
And this is going to be interesting, okay, because... Because it's coming. Anyway, I don't want to ruin what's coming. So, okay. So we're in verse 8. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife did them, hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, Who told thee that thou wast naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldst not eat? And the man said, The woman whom thou gavest to me, or whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I did eat. And the Lord God said unto the woman, What is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, The serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. And the Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle and above every beast of the field. Upon thy belly shalt thou go, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. Okay, wait, we got to wait. I'm going to wait for verse 14. Uh, Okay, so... Then it says, the Lord then came to Adam and Eve to hold them accountable for their choice. Adam first accounts to the Lord and then Eve. And then the Lord gave individualized consequences to each individual involved, including Satan. The first consequence um, went to Satan. Okay, so hold on a second. Before we get there, um, I did want to mention about the fig leaves. I liked, uh, was it talking scripture? I can't remember which scripture it was or, or which podcast it was that I was listening to. But I loved the symbolism of the fig tree and how they covered themselves um, because um, where it said that they covered themselves with leaves because they thought they were naked but they used these leaves and they're um when we think of scriptures you know we definitely tend to to be told to think of them symbolically because the lord has a lot of layers in uh the way he teaches us and the way that things have happened in the past also because everything that he does has a purpose and everything that heavenly father does has a purpose. So there's always lots of layers. And one of the layers they said is that the fig leaves can represent lies. So when, when we sin or when we, um, uh, have done something we, that is maybe not good, you know, um, or we've been convinced that it wasn't good, then we, tend to hide ourselves or I guess Satan was the one that told them to hide and that they were naked and so um in order like when we are trying to hide our sins or if we think of Adam and Eve hiding their sins they used fig leaves to hide their sins and it's interesting about the seeds that um they chose fig leaves because how how do we try and hide our sins is through lots of lies and the adversary tries to convince us of these things um and to use a lot of lies to that just compound upon each other to hide our sins and but the f- fact of the matter is when we use leaves or 
lies to hide our sins, eventually when the seasons change, right, um, our sin will be revealed. We will again be vulnerable to, you know, showing who we truly are. Our true colors will show. And I love the, sim- the symbolism here because when we use leaves or things that are lies or things that are temporary or things that are um, not of God, um, then we are not truly covered. It is a temporary covering. It's not going to last. Lies are only going to last so long. We as a family know this. And so um, when Heavenly Father came and they, um, now I'm trying to think, I don't want to spoil it for you. I mean, obviously you already read this, but, um, basically heavenly father then, um, chooses to coat them with skins and skins are symbolic of animal sacrifices and the skins that, you know, we could, picture here would be like the skins of sheep, right? Those are the ones that, or a lamb. Um, And that's because the savior is who was sacrificed in our behalf so that he could cover our sins, right? So that because of him, our sins can be covered, but not in a temporary manner that the fig leaves would uh, cover us, but in a permanent manner where we could um, come to come to God's presence and not feel ashamed, right? So when we wear those skins that that God has given us, which is the atonement of Jesus Christ, His own Son, then we can approach the throne of God with confidence. When we use those lies, the fig leaves we can't approach with confidence. We are ashamed. We feel really bad. And, you know, we're, we're covering ourselves with lies and, and, and it's not good. And so I love that symbolism of the fact that, you know, Adam and Eve chose fig leaves to cover themselves, but then instead that heavenly father gave them Jesus Christ, his atonement, Jesus, as a symbol, he gave him the skins of a lamb. Now there's not anywhere in the scriptures that says that, but, (laughs) but, um, I think, I think it's just obvious to me that that's what kinds of skins, um, that he would give them. Uh, because everything that he does is is a similitude um, <coughs> and everything typifies of Christ. <coughs> so anyway, I think that's cool to remember. And maybe they'll have a quote about something. I remember dad telling me something about learning something from brother somebody (laughs) super vague quote (laughs) but he said something about 
um, being taught in seminary and, and one of the apostles was a teacher at the time and said that he just knows it was a lamb because it has to be. <laughs> and that's how I'm going to say it because it just has to be, right? Because everything is symbolic. So it just has to be. Um, okay, so we're going to keep reading. Um, all right, so we are now on verse 15, Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. Mm, one of my ultimate favorite verses. Okay, and I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed, and it shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. Now, if you look up the footnote, the translation of bruise can also mean, um, uh-oh. can also, whoops, can also mean a crush. So hold on a second. She got stuck in the bathroom, which I thought the door was closed, but I guess not. Okay. Um, so this is my most favorite, uh, scripture because to me, okay. And there's a lot of uh, scholars that have their own translation of this verse and it's totally, you know, it's totally fine. Um, but I'm going to give you mine first because I'm your mom. And so my translation of this, um, when I looked it up, uh, enmity is another word for hate or animosity or like, uh, rancor or just like that you that you have an enemy right and so when <clears throat> God put enmity between thee and the woman okay to me it and between thy seed and her seed to me it means that it's okay for us to be angry and for us to have an enemy and for us to um, have those feelings of, of enmity towards Satan. Now, we have been commanded, you know, to love our neighbor as ourselves and things like that. And so we are not to have enmity between people and human beings and each other because those are our brothers and sisters. No matter what they do to us, they're still our brothers and sisters. But that we can and will have this anger and um, we can put that anger in a place because people make us angry and it's so true. And you might think like people don't manage our emotions and things like that. It's, it's true. You know, it's our choice. But there are things that people do that um, kind of get those feelings bo boiling up. And so we need to have a place to put that. And I love that the Lord and that Heavenly Father, that God tells us that it is here in this spot. You can put your enmity. You can put your hate in Satan. That is where it goes. No matter what happens in life, if you need to hate somebody, this is the dude. Okay, and so we're allowed because between thee, thy seed and her seed, and we're Eve's seed. And so because we're Eve's seed, I also love the fact that he said, it shall bruise thy head. So we are capable um, of 
crushing Satan's head and that we can, or that he'll be able to bruise our heel, which, you know, if you ever deal with heel pain, you know that it's super annoying. So he's going to be super annoying to us a lot, all the time. And he's going to try to slow us down because our heel is crucial in, oh, thanks. Uh, your dad just got me a sweet uh, a smoothie from the Roxbury. And it's amazing because we need smoothies to get better. And Flora, she's so <laughs> excited to see him. Okay, um, so so we can crush his head and he can crush our heel. But because our heel is not our head, that we're still going to survive. No matter what he does to us, we're going to be able to survive. And we're going to be able to rise above it. And so... I love like everything in that scripture. It's just so many good things. And if you listen to the Warrior Woman podcast, you'll know a lot more things that go with this because that is what I love. I love like this, like this is my purpose is to help people remember that Satan's after us, but that we are capable of crushing his head. And how do we crush his head? by doing those things that he doesn't like, which is when we are in the service of our fellow being, we are only in the service of our God. So when we serve God, he hates it. And that's all we got to do. That's all we got to do to make him mad. Honestly, though, I wish we could stay in this uh, chapter or this verse for like three weeks because I feel like that's how long we would need to maybe just scratch the surface on what we're talking about here. Um... Because there's so much out there. Um, But we got to move on because this is already uh, approaching the 50-minute mark. So we're going to read verse 16. Unto the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. Okay, so I think this scripture here could get really out of hand depending on who you are and what your experience is with your husband. And I really love the way that the handbook, or not the handbook, the Come Follow Me manual um, describes this. So I'm going to go into that if I can find it. Okay, it says, What does it mean that Adam was to rule over Eve? This passage of scripture has sometimes been misunderstood to mean that the husband is justified in treating his wife unkindly. In our day, the Lord's prophets have taught that while a husband should preside in the home in righteousness, he should see his wife as an equal partner. And that's found in the family, a proclamation to the world. And then Elder Dale G. Renlund and Sister Ruth Libert Renland, Libert Renland explained that a righteous husband will seek to minister. He will acknowledge error and seek forgiveness. He will be quick to be to offer praise. He will be considerate of family members' preferences. He will feel the great weight of responsibility to provide the necessities of life and protection for his family. He will treat his wife with the utmost respect and deference. He will bless his family. And so I really like that. Um, Also, there was like a thing posted in my um, Worth group uh, Facebook page 
that I really liked that they mentioned. And I'm going to go there so that I can show you guys what it was. And basically, it was someone who was complaining about... Um, somebody who was complaining about the same unfairness, um, right, of the fact that uh, Eve was told that Adam was going to rule over her. Um, so this is coming from, you know, a sister who has been betrayed by her husband, and so this really is kind of triggering for her and makes her feel like uh, as if that that's for real what, what a guy is supposed to do is treat her poorly, right? Um, but no, it's not. That's not what it's saying. So here's, here's an explanation. It says, Many people have difficulty understanding or correctly applying the Lord's words to Eve at the time of the fall, where it says, Thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. Some feel this is demeaning to women, and some men use it as an excuse to exercise unrighteous dominion. Can you give some insight into this verse? So, um, Brother Mike, S. Michael Wilcox, instructor of the Salt Lake University Institute of Religion, he says, Part of the reason this verse troubles some people is that they place the emphasis on the word rule instead of on the word desire which is the key word of the phrase. The root origins of desire give added meaning. Desire means to long for, to stretch out towards, and to yearn for. Now, remember it said that our desire will be to our husband, which is which is great. That's where we want our desire to be. And, of course, when we have kids, we do long for our husbands to give us that extra little, that respite, that, that rest that we do need when we have been with the kids like all day or when the kids have had you know troubles that maybe we can't help them with it's awesome to have a spouse and a partner and a hubby who is there for you and who's there for us right okay so he says this was not a curse upon eve but a blessing let's suppose that just before my daughter was to be married she came to me and asked for a father's blessing let's further suppose that when I laid my hands on her head. I gave her the following blessing. I bless you that you will always feel a desire towards your husband. You will long to be with him in eternity. Your heart will stretch out to him in love and you will yearn for his compassion, for his companionship. I further bless you that he will preside over you over or I further bless you that he will preside over your home in righteousness and honor. Would she feel I had cursed and punished her? Surely every righteous woman in the church desires to be married to a husband and to be able to love uh, love him in that manner. President Spencer W. Kimball offered this valuable insight regarding the phrase, thy husband shall rule over thee. I have a question about the word rule. It gives the wrong impression. I would prefer to use the word preside because that's what he does. A righteous husband presides over his wife and family. Also remember the man the Lord was talking about when he said these words to Eve. Adam was the great Michael. He who had helped Jehovah create the earth, the first, the great first prophet of the Lord on earth, a most righteous son of God. Those who interpret God's blessing upon Eve as a punishment have not understood the meaning of scripture. The Lord was telling Eve that she would be watched over, cared for, and protected by the righteous love of a noble husband as she entered the fallen world.
I love that. In the misunderstandings typical of mortality, how ironic that many men take this verse and use it as a license to exercise unrighteous dominion and to rule over their wives instead of treating their wives in a manner to encourage a spouse's desire toward them. I love that so much. In October 1993 General Conference, Elder Boyd K. Packer of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles said, Should a man exercise control or dominion or compulsion in any degree of unrighteousness, he violates the oath and covenant which belongeth to the priesthood. Then the heavens withdraw themselves. The Spirit of the Lord is grieved. Unless he repents, he will lose his blessings. In the General Relief Society meeting held prior to the General Conference, Elder M. Russell Ballard, also of the Quorum of the Twelve, said God had revealed has revealed through his prophets that men are to receive the priesthood, become fathers, and with gentleness and pure, unfeigned love, they are to lead and nurture their families in righteousness as the Savior leads the church. They have been given the primary responsibility for the temporal and physical needs of the family. Women have the power to bring children into the world and have been given the primary duty and opportunity as mothers to lead, nurture, and teach them in a loving spiritual environment. In this divine partnership, husbands and wives support one another in their God-given capacities by appointing different accountabilities to men and women. Heavenly Father provides the greatest opportunity for growth, service, and progress. He did not give different tasks to men and women simply to perpetuate the idea of a family. Rather, he did so to ensure that the family can continue forever, the ultimate goal of our Heavenly Father's eternal plan. I love that. And sign November 1993. Okay, so that sister who was having trouble found comfort in all these uh in this talk and or in this article um and so I thought that I needed to make sure that we included that in there because it's true sometimes the adversary can turn things and make and warp things in our minds and really make things um take things out of proportion when they aren't meant to meant to be and to use things to hurt us and torture us when they're not meant to hurt us and torture us. Okay, we're going to read this commentary now from Redheaded Hostess. Okay, the first consequences went to Satan. The Lord put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed. Thy seed refers to Satan and his followers. Her seed has been interpreted differently by various scholars But the Old Testament Institute student manual explains that her seed refers to Jesus Christ. The seed of the woman refers to Jesus Christ, who was the only mortal born of an earthly mother and a heavenly father. The devil has his power restricted concerning how much harm he can do, but the Messiah will have the ability to bruise his head. And I would add, because I'm your mom and I can add, um, that through the Messiah, we have the ability to bruise his head, to crush his head. Through Jesus Christ, we have been given that ability. So it's amazing. Okay, Um, then the Lord addresses Eve, and she learns some of the unique experiences she will have in mortality, including sorrow and bringing forth children and having her husband rule over her. Um. And I already read to you what President Spencer W. Kimball said about that he would prefer to use the word preside. But 
also, I did want to say that the sorrow that that comes in bringing forth children, I don't necessarily think it's sorrow during labor, although I definitely had some of that. <laughs> so I can attest to that being true. But I think it's more just when you have children, you have sorrow. You're going to have sorrow because sadly, like, your children bring you a bunch of joy, but then when they're in pain, you're in pain. So it brings us sorrow. Or if they do something that hurts hurts you or, you know, makes you sad, you're going to have sorrow. So I don't necessarily think it was like a curse either. It was just more of like a, hey, by the way, this is what's going to happen. When you have kids, you're going to be sad, <laughs> right? Like, it's just going to happen. Like... Uh, sending Finn, Finn and Faust to school makes me sad, but it also makes me happy, right? And uh, Flora, you know, not sleeping when she needs to be sleeping makes me sad, but it also makes me happy because why? Because I love her face and I love looking at her and I love spending time with her. But why does it make me sad? Well, because I kind of wish I was sleeping too. <laughs> So it's all the of the above. Or when your kids are sick, you're sad because they're sick and you're and you get sad because you wish you could make it better immediately because you never want your kids to go through pain. And or if they get hurt, same, you know, you you're in pain because your child is in pain. It's just that kind of connection that we have. Maybe he was referring more to the connection that we have as mothers than to like some kind of curse like you're gonna be you're gonna have sorrow when you have kids (laughs) because I don't think I don't think that all women have sorrow when they have when they go into labor I know some women are like I just go into labor and I just popped right out you know and totally jealous of those women I didn't have that opportunity to be able to pop babies out. My sorrow did come in labor and after as well, where some maybe just have it after, right? Um, or when your kids move away, right? You're going to be sad that they move away, even though it's a happy experience. Anyway, so I think it's sad. Uh, oh, or if you struggle with infertility, you're going to be sad in bringing forth children because maybe you can't bring them forth and you're just stuck in the process of bringing them and that causes a lot of pain and heartache and sorrow so it's just super sad so anyway um i do love that we get to crush satan um and i do love that we get got the ex the extra explanation about the word rule over um and then we learn that adam and eve will enter into the fallen world together as partners they'll be equals who strive together um i did read something else that i wanted to share okay it was a talk by um sister valerie hudson Um, and her talk is titled The Two Trees, but it's a talk that's not from General Conference, so I just want you to know that, but it's just, like, her ideas, too, um, and it's just kind of a thought, um, 
She said that women escort every soul through the veil to mortal life and full agency. I believe that when we think about it, two people, two trees, that what we're really thinking about is two stewardships and that the fruit of the first tree symbolizes the gift that women give to every soul that choose or that chose the plan of Christ. It symbolizes the role and power of women in the great plan of happiness. It was not in this view right or proper for Adam to partake first of the fruit of the tree of the first tree. It was not his role to give the gift of the fruit of the first tree to others. It is interesting to think that even Adam, who was created before Eve, entered into full mortality and full agency by accepting the gift of the first tree from the hand of a woman. In a sense, Adam himself was born of Eve. And I thought that was really cool, the way that they that she illustrated this. <clears throat> says, I think it's it was just improper that women opened the door to the plan of happiness. I know that the stewardship of women and what the fruit of the tree symbolizes harmonizes really well. But I would like to add that I believe also that it was just improper that women opened the door. Surely, when we considered all the elements of the plan of Christ and we considered what would befall us in the fallen world, surely the daughters of God were given at least an inkling of what would befallen them. If no woman was willing to open the door to mortal life and all that it would mean for women, I don't think it would have been opened, and that would only be just. Hmm. And by things that would befall them, meaning all kinds of badness, all kinds of evil is what she was referring to. And I don't want to read it because I don't feel like I want to add that. Um, Eve was not the worst among women. Eve was the best among women. She was the most courageous, the most full of faith. Jesus, Jesus' performance of the atonement repaid Mother Eve's faith in the plan. Her courageous opening of the door represented by the first tree. And just a little bit before this, I thought it was super cute how she mentioned that even Jesus Christ, our Lord, was escorted to mortality and veiled in flesh through the gift of a woman, fed fed at his mother's breast, awakened to all that is good and sweet in the world. Women escort every soul through the veil to mortal life and full agency. I love that. I love that so much. Because it's so true. That's what we do. And we try and do our best. And sometimes our best is not even our best enough for us. (laughs) Okay, so now we're going to read verse 17. And unto Adam, he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife and has eaten... Of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Um, again, I think it's, it's like he was saying, don't eat or you're going to die. And so, remember, that doesn't necessarily mean it was a bad thing. It just means that it was a different thing. Thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth 
to thee, and thou shalt eat the herb of the field. <laughs> In the sweat of thy face thou shalt eat bread, till thou return unto the ground. For out of it wast thou taken, up, taken, for dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. And again, if you've ever given a chore to a child, they think they've just died. So... <laughs> So I think God was just trying to let him know, like, you're going to die if you eat from this tree, but not like, like you're going to die, like you're going to die, like bad thing, but you're going to die, like it's going to be hard, right? So I do love that we don't need to take things literal um, in, in this context. I mean, it is literal that they did die, but also, but not a bad thing. Anyways, you know what I'm saying now. Um, okay. Verse 20, and Adam called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. See, one of my favorite verses for women who struggle with infertility. Eve was called the mother of all living before she bore any children. It's amazing, right? Um, 21, unto Adam also and to his wife did the Lord God make coats of skins and clothe them. See, right there, coats of skins. And when we see, when, when I click on coats, it says garments or tunics, um, and clothe them. Um, another thing that I was watching or reading about this, um, back in the day you clothed, uh, kings and queens, like your clothes, uh, specified or, um, basically like showed respect, right? Your clothes, uh, showed respect. And when you clothed other people, it was out of respect for them and out of honor. And, um, like you clothe queen kings and queens are clothed and put robes on them and stuff like that. And so, um, another meaning for this, where God clothed them is that he not only, you know, covered them with, uh, the atonement of Jesus Christ, but also clothed them, meaning he endowed us with power. He gave us, uh, he gave Adam and Eve power, um, and like, because they were, you know, king and queen of the earth, basically they're the first two. And so they were super special. And, and so being clothed was like a sign of, something awesome and not as like a second hand me down kind of clothes like ugh, I guess because you sinned we're gonna put clothing on you and because you're naked so but isn't it interesting how that's what Satan's trying to make us think that that's what it was right but um but back in the day like way back is when we can see like the symbolism of being clothed. Uh, so it was something special. It was very, that something that only kings and queens got back in the day that, that they got out of respect and honor. Anyways, you can look it up. There was, I think it was under my, the Scriptures Plus app that I found the video. 
And I thought it was really cool. Okay, 22. And the Lord God said, Behold, the man is become as one of us, to know good and evil. And now, lest he put forth his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him forth from the garden of Eden to till the ground from whence he was taken. So he drove out the man and he placed at the east of the garden of Eden cherubims and a flaming sword, which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. And I can't remember if I talked to you guys already about this, but um, that the we need space between the first tree and the second tree because the space between the trees gives us opportunity to repent and if we partake of the fruit too soon of the tree of life then um, we are giving up our right to repent and our time to repent and so that's why um, the Lord or that's why God put cherubim and a flaming sword to protect the tree not because we're not allowed to touch it, but because we're not ready to touch it yet until after we have been given the correct and proper amount of time um, to repent so that when we touch it, when we partake, it is to our benefit and blessing. Um, So I like that. And that was, I believe, from Talking Scripture that said that. Um, Okay, and... Some more commentary. So good. These things are so good, guys. Okay. Uh, Adam, who was to provide and preside, was going to do so in a fallen world. He had been tending to a garden in paradise. (laughs) But now he would labor through thorns, thistles, and by the sweat of his brow. Uh, Elder James E. Talmadge wrote, Adam fell directly felt directly the effects of transgression in finding a barren and dreary earth with a relatively sterile soil instead of the beauty and fruitfulness of Eden. In place of pleasing and useful plants, thorns and thistles sprang up, and the man had to labor arduously under the conditions of physical fatigue and suffering to cultivate the soil that he might obtain necessary food. And that's Elder James E. Talmadge, Articles of Faith, page 61. It is important to notice in verse 23 or for us, since we're in Genesis, it's going to be a different verse, that the ground was cursed for thy sake. The work will be part a part of mortality that will keep him grow, that will help him grow and gain experience. Elder Richard, J. Richard Clark explained, work is a blessing from God. It is fundament, It is a fundamental principle of salvation, both spiritual and temporal. When Adam was driven from his garden home, he was told that his bread must be produced by his physical toil, by the sweat of his brow. Note carefully the words, cursed shall be the ground for thy sake, that is, for his good or benefit. It would not be easy to master the earth, but that was his challenge and his blessing as it is ours. We are co-creators with God. He gave us the capacity to do the work he left undone, to harness the energy, mine the ore, transform the treasures of the earth for our good. But most important, the Lord knew that from the crucible of work emerges emerges the hard core of character. Oh, that's cool. Uh, And that kind of reminds me of that quote that dad said, uh, that dad shared before and that I shared already. Elder J. Richard Clark 
<clears throat> and then Eve was given her name because she was the mother of all living. This name came before she bore children. Ooh, Sister Sherry Dew. Oh, and this is the quote. Um, like Eve, our motherhood began before we were born, just as worthy men were foreordained to hold the priesthood in mortality. Righteous women were endowed premortally with the privilege of motherhood. Motherhood motherhood is more than bearing children, though it is certainly that. It is the essence of who we are as women. It defines our very identity, our divine nature, or our divine stature and nature, and the unique traits of our fa- traits our father gave us. Adam and Eve were then given coats of skins and were now prepared with what they needed to spiritually thrive in a fallen world. They had been properly prepared and they had each other. The Lord then placed angels to guard the tree of life. Adam and Eve were fallen and not ready to partake of that tree. They needed to complete their probationary state. That is a fruit we cannot partake of yet while in mortality, but we can partake of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and we should. Elder Sterling W. Sill Sill taught, A flaming sword was placed in the Garden of Eden to guard the tree of life, but fortunately for us, there is no flaming sword guarding the tree of knowledge, and each one of us may eat to his heart's content, and maybe you can think of something more exciting than that, but I don't know what it would be. In this great age of restoration and enlightenment, we can know about as much as we want to know about any subject, including God and his program for our, for our eternal exaltation. How true is that? And that was said in 1973 before Google <laughs> and before everybody was helping us learn together and training and putting out helpful videos and things. I mean, I've learned how to do so many things that I didn't need to learn or uh, that I... <laughs> that I didn't need to learn, that I didn't think I needed to learn. And it's been so, such a blessing to have all those videos at my disposal and that education, um, and have learned a lot of things for free, but also like if I pay for things, I can also learn those things. So it's pretty awesome. Okay. We're going to read Genesis chapter four. We're going to try and read it faster because I don't want to have to spend too much time on these scriptures so not because I don't want to actually but it's because we don't have enough time in the day so I would recommend going and searching for all kinds of stuff okay uh chapter four Eve bears Cain and Abel they offer sacrifices Cain slays Abel and is cursed by the Lord who also sets a mark upon him the children of men multiply Adam begets Seth and Seth begets Enos and Adam knew Eve his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. Okay, so I thought I wasn't going to stop. <clears throat> but here, um, I don't know if a lot of other people talk about this, but for me, um, this scripture used to be where the word knew, okay, meant that they had sex, right? And it was just like another word for for sex. But after going through what we've been through, um, now when I read this, it changes it for me. And because the fact that it says, and Adam knew Eve, his wife. Okay, so when, like, when... 
we have sex, that's like the pinnacle or the top, like the icing on the cake of intimacy for a spouse and his wife or for a husband and his wife and or for a wife and her husband. And so I'm trying to explain this in a way that makes sense and because I don't think I've explained it before. So I'm trying to get it out. So anyway, intimacy requires a lot more than sex. So when you think of a relationship between two people, um, you don't necessarily think of one act. You think of a lot of things building up that relationship and being established and then they have kids, right? Um, but the adversary will have us think that the only thing that there is in a relationship of like husband and wife is sex. Like that's the only reason to get married and that's the only reason to do things, but it's not. And the word intimacy, if you break it down in a different way than the standard way um, in the dictionary is it breaks down to into me see right and how can we see into someone else if we don't give them space or give them time or give them or spend enough time with that person to know what they are inside of themselves like how would I know who dad is without getting to know who he is what he likes what are his favorite colors what is happening in his day to day what is happening what are his dreams what are his hopes what are you know all those things is are things that are considered um intimacy right it is um we can become we can be intimate without actually having sex and what i really love about the fact that it says that Adam knew Eve, his wife, is now this new definition that, like, for me, is not just sex, but he knew his wife. Like, he got to know her. He got to know her. She was not an object to him. She was a person. He knew her. And then they conceived and bare children. It's after we know our spouses, after we know our husband or our wife, after we know them, comes the fruits of knowing someone, the fruits of intimacy, which is sex, which then sex leads to having children, right? Because that was, we can become creators with God um, after we have godly experiences with those people. Uh, So anyways, remember this, okay? That when you see the word new so-and-so, it's not because they knew them because they had sex, but it's because they knew them first. They knew who they were. They got to know them. They got to hang out with them. They learned things about them. They spent time with them. They cared about them. They served them. So many things. And then they had kids, okay? Don't make, don't do it backwards because it, it messes up the system. God has a system and it messes things up if you don't do it in the order that he has. And it's to your benefit to do things in that order.
Okay. And she again bare his brother Abel, and Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. Now, some people might be thinking the way that they're painting this picture already kind of seems not so good. Because <laughs> as if like keeping sheep is better than tilling ground. No, it's the same. But we know the story, so I think that's why um, they're already painting the picture. So, and in process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And Abel, he also brought the of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering, but unto Cain and to his offering he had not respect. And Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. And the Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth, and why is thy countenance fallen? If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted? And if thou doest not well, Sin lieth at the door, and unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. And, okay, so we're going to go up to that verse right there. Um, And we're going to read some commentary, because I like the commentary. Okay, together Adam and Eve are cast out, and now the challenge is whether they can overcome the world so that they can return to the presence of God. Um, they begin to suffer the consequences of the, of the fall. Before the fall, they were able to eat of the fruit of the garden, but now they must produce their own fruit, right? Which they have to do with... Um, which they have to do with a lot of effort, right? Okay, so it takes sweat and toil. Um, and then uh, Cain and Abel were Adam and Eve's firstborns. However, the book of Moses restores verses 1 to 15, which include many other children who began to multiply and replenish the earth. Um, so we will go back to that, Moses, after. Um, and Adam and Eve learning the law of sacrifice. Okay, so, and then Adam and Eve are given the law of sacrifice, so between the, this stage, right? And the Lord instructs them to offer the firstlings of their flocks, and they obey. Then an angel comes and asks, why dost thou offer sacrifices unto the Lord? And Adam answers, I know not, save the Lord commanded me. The angel then teaches Adam that it is done in the similitude of the sacrifice of the only begotten. This law was... That was being taught to Adam and Eve will bring them and their posterity closer to Christ. This is one crucial way that they can live in a fallen world and still come unto Christ. Okay, so the law of sacrifice provides an opportunity for us to prove to the Lord that we love him more than any other thing. As a result, the course sometimes becomes difficult since this is the process of perfection that prepares us for the celestial kingdom to dwell in the presence of God and his Christ forever and ever. Sacrifice allows us to learn something about ourselves, what we are willing to offer to the Lord through our obedience. Brother Truman G. Madsen tells about a visit he made to Israel with President Hubie Brown, an apostle of the Lord, who served as both second and first counselor in the first presidency in a valley known as Hebron, where tradition has it that... Where tradition... Oops has it that the tomb of Father Abraham is located. Brother Madsen asked President Brown, what are the blessings of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? After a short moment of thought, President Brown answered, posterity. 
Brother Madsen writes, I almost burst out. Why then was Abraham commanded to go to Mount Moriah and offer his only hope of posterity? It was clear that President Brown, nearly 90, had thought and prayed and wept over that question before. He finally said Abraham needed to learn something about Abraham. Anciently, blood sacrifices brought the people to Christ through typifying and foreshadowing his life and mission. The prophet Joseph Smith taught, Whenever the Lord revealed himself to men in ancient days and commanded them to offer sacrifice to him, it was done that they might look forward in faith to a time of his coming and rely upon the power of that atonement for a remission of their sins. Elder Russell M. Nelson has taught, we are still commanded to sacrifice, but not by shedding blood of animals. Our highest sense of sacrifice is achieved as we make ourselves more sacred or holy. Adam and Eve were taught the law of sacrifice and were commanded to practice it by giving offerings. These included two emblems, the firstlings of the flock and the first fruits of the field. They obeyed without questioning. President David O. McKay pointed out the effect of this law was that the best of the earth pro- is that the best the earth produced, the best specimen in the flock or herd, should not be used for self but for God. At a time in history when it was a struggle to make sure the family had food, those who sought to worship the Lord were asked to sacrifice the best part of their source of life. It was a real test of Adam and Eve's faith, and they observed, or and they and they obeyed. Elder Russell M. Russell Ballard, October 1998, General Conference. As Adam and Eve pr- practiced and came to understand the law of sacrifice, they became more holy. Right, And that's how we become more holy. And in that day, Adam blessed God and was filled and began to prophesy. And both Adam and Eve were able to have eyes to see the great blessings of the fall and the joy they could experience in mortality. Okay. So let me keep going. And Cain, let's see. If thou doest well, thou shalt be accepted. Oh, okay. And and number eight. And Cain talked with Abel, his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and slew him. And the Lord said unto Cain, Where is Abel, thy brother? And he said, I know not. I am, Am I my brother's keeper? And he said, What hast thou done? The voice of thy brother's blood crieth unto me from the ground. And now... Art, and now art thou cursed from the earth, which hath, with hath, which hath opened her mouth to receive thy brother's blood from thy hand. When thou tillest the ground, it shall not henceforth yield unto thee her strength. Oh, man. Well, super sad. Flora woke up. And that's the curse of having a dog. Right? Okay, uh, verse 12. When thou tillest the ground, it shall not henceforth yield unto thee her strength. A fugitive and a vagabond shalt thou be in the earth. And Cain said unto the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, thou hast driven me out of this day from the face of the earth, and from thy face shall I be hid. And I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond in the earth, and it shall come to pass that every one that findeth me shall slay me. 
And the Lord said unto him, Therefore, whosoever slayeth Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord set a mark upon Cain, lest any finding him should kill him. And Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and dwelt in the land of Nod on the east of Eden. And Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bare Enoch. And he builded a city and called the name of the city after the name of his son Enoch. And unto Enoch was born Irad, and Irad begat Mehujiel, and Mehujiel begat Methusiel, and Methusiel begat Lamech. And Lamech took unto him two wives. The name of one was Ada, and the name of the other Zilha. And Ada bore, and Ada bare Jabal. He was the father of such as dwell in tents, and of such as have cattle. And his brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all such as handle the harp and organ. And Zilla, she also bare Tubalcane, an instructor of every artificer in brass and iron, and the sister of Tubalcane was Naamah. And Lamech said unto his wives, Ada and Zilla, hear my voice, ye wives of Lamech, hearken unto my speech, for I have slain a man in my wounding and a young man to my hurt. If Cain shall be avenged sevenfold, truly Lamech seventy and seventy and sevenfold. And Adam knew his wife again, and she bare a son and called his name Seth. For God said, she hath appointed me another seed instead of Abel, whom Cain slew. Oh, that would be so sad. And to Seth, to him also there was born a son, and he called his name Enos. Then began men to call upon the name of the Lord. Um, a couple things to remember is even Adam and Eve had kids who made bad choices and that doesn't mean that they were bad parents. Just throwing that out there. Okay. (laughs) But also, you know, they need to know, you know, they needed to know that they were just trying, they were trying and it was hard because They were in the presence of God before, and they lived in the presence of God. And so that would be so hard to now not live in his presence and be doing things on our own, but have to still rely on the Lord when you don't live in his presence. It's like, what's really sad is the fact that we have this phrase that says, out of sight, out of mind. Usually, you know, because when we're not reminded of things daily, then it is something that we forget. We will forget the Lord if we're not reminding ourselves daily. We need to be intentional about connecting with with Christ so that we can continue to have his presence in our lives and continue to remember who we are and remember our purpose. Because if we forget, then we're just kind of floating about. And it kind of reminds me of this talk, the bishop's given us a bishop's challenge um, for 90 days where... Um, we need, well, first he recommended we read the talk, uh, daily restoration by elder Dieter F. Dorf. And it's so good. I love that talk. And basically he just tells us to connect with Christ on a regular basis all the time, because that's how we can, you know, recharge our batteries, set our course straight. And he talked about how, and when he's flying a plane, any tiny course correction, any tiny uh, movement will move you off course. And so you have to keep re like 
putting in your path of your destination because you could technically go somewhere else if you move just like a hair. And also did, he talked about a science experiment where they tested people to see if they could walk in a straight line and they couldn't after a certain amount of time, you just end up going in circles. And it's kind of funny that we think that we think we're walking a totally straight line and it's like we're not anyways the bishop gave us the challenge to pick a goal for 90 days and and do it and then after nine like tell them about it and then after 90 days we will uh see where we're at and if we were able to transform ourselves and become better and he would give us donuts so it's pretty awesome and it's funny because boys the boys said well, what if we don't want donuts? It's not even worth the donuts because it's like 90 days. Like, what? I don't even, that's so long. That's going to be so hard. And I agree. And I, I asked them, well, what about me? Like, why would I need to do a 90-day challenge I for donuts? I'm a grown woman. I can get my donuts right now if I want. And they were like, oh, yeah. <laughs> And I'm like, yeah, but what is the point of a bishop's challenge? Is it a is it so he can make donuts for us or why? And they both agreed that um, it was to help us become better. And if it's something that helps us become better, then it's worth the effort because effort brings rewards, right? Is what President Nelson says. Anyway, so we listened to the talk yesterday. So today we're going to make some goals and... Okay, so I finished reading Genesis, so now we're going to start reading Moses chapter 4. Okay, remember, we're picking up at Moses chapter 4, verse 6, okay? And Satan put it into the heart of the serpent, for he had drawn away many after him, and he sought also to beguile Eve, for he knew not the mind of God, wherefore he sought to destroy the world. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye can ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden, and he spake by the mouth of the serpent, and the woman said unto the serpent, Ye may eat of we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which thou beholdest in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die, for God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be open, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it became pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make her wise, she took of the fruit thereof, and did eat, and also gave unto her husband with her, and he did eat. And the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they had been naked, and they and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. And they heard the voice of the Lord God as they were walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife went to hide themselves from the presence of the Lord, of the Lord God, amongst the trees of the garden. And I, the Lord God, called unto Adam and said unto him, Where goest thou? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I beheld that I was naked and I hid myself. And I, the Lord God, said unto Adam, Who told thee that thou wast naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree thereof? I commanded thee that thou shouldst not eat. If so, thou shouldst surely die. 
And the man said, The woman thou gavest me, and commandest that she should remain with me, she gave me of the fruit of the tree, and I did eat. And I, the Lord God, said unto the woman, What is this thing which thou hast done? And the woman said, The serpent, the serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. And I, the Lord God, said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou shalt be cursed above all cattle and above every beast of the field. Upon thy, upon thy belly shalt thou go, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed, and he shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. And so this is my favorite verse in Moses, right? Moses chapter 4, verse 21. Okay, and in verse 22, Unto the woman I, the Lord God, said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception in sorrow. Thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. And unto Adam I, the Lord God, said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the fruit of the tree of which I commanded thee, Oh, excuse me, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it. Cursed shall be the ground for thy sake. In sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. And don't worry, in sorrow we do eat of it all the days of our life. <laughs> Especially when you have to wash each individual leaf. You know what I mean? You guys have been there. Okay, thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat the herb of the field, honestly. And you will need to pay for a uh, person to come spray your yard so that those thorns and thistles don't, don't grow, and it's really annoying. So there you go. 25. By the sweat of thy face thou shalt eat bread until the, thou shalt return unto the ground, for thou shalt surely die, for out of the out of it wast thou taken, for dust thou wast, and unto dust thou shalt return. Unto dust shalt thou return. And Adam called his wife's name Eve, because that's good, because I'm glad that they stopped calling her woman. <laughs> hey, woman. You know, I mean, maybe we say it now in a bad way, but back then it was probably more like a like super prestigious calling kind of thing right um and adam called his wife's name eve because she was the mother of all living for thus have i the lord god called the first of all women which are many and we are many <laughs> unto adam how come he didn't say there was many men though Okay, 27, unto Adam and also unto his wife did I, the Lord God, make coats of skins and clothe them. And I, the Lord God, said unto mine only begotten, behold, the man is become as one of us to know good and evil. And now, lest he put forth his hand and partake also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, I, the Lord God, will send him forth from the garden of Eden to till the ground from whence he was taken. For as I, the Lord God, liveth, even so my words cannot return void. For as they go forth out of my mouth, they must be fulfilled. Um, that's amazing, <laughs> right? As parents, sometimes the words that come out of my mouth, probably best they don't get fulfilled because those are empty promises, right? <laughs> but God does not work that way. So he says things on purpose with purpose. 31. So I drove out the man and I placed at the east of the garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword. 
Ooh, excuse me, which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. And these are the words which I spake unto my servant Moses, and they are true, even as I will, and I have spoken them unto you. See thou, show them unto no man until I command you, except to them that believe. Amen. Isn't that so neat? Also, what I think it's awesome and just beautiful is that you will see all this symbolism and and these scriptures unfold in the temple and the blessings that come. Just awesome. Just awesome. So be ready. Um, if you're trying to prepare yourself to go to the temple, this is perfect scriptures, perfect scriptures that you can read uh, to help you prepare to see all the symbolism and the blessings that come. And we're going to now read chapter five. But now with chapter five, we're going to have, uh, we're going to read some commentary there. Okay. Um, oh, I did read that one. So we, okay, so we're at about, okay. Chapter five of Moses. Um, this is still June to October, 1830. Remember the revelation giving that is happening to Joseph Smith. Okay, Adam and Eve bring forth children. Adam offers sacrifice and serves God. Cain and Abel are born. Cain rebels, loves Satan more than God, and becomes perdition. Murder and wickedness spread. The gospel is preached forth from the beginning. And it came to pass that after I, the Lord God, had driven them out, that Adam began to till the earth and to have dominion over all the beasts of the field and to eat his bread by the sweat of his brow. And I, the Lord, had commanded him, and Eve, also his wife, did labor with him. And Adam knew his wife, and she bare unto him sons and daughters, and they, begat to, they began to multiply and to replenish the earth. And from that time forth, the sons and daughters of Adam began to divide two and two in the land, and to till the land, and to tend the flocks, and they also begat sons and daughters. And Adam and Eve, his wife, called upon the name of the Lord, and they heard the voice of the Lord from the way toward the garden of Eden, speaking unto them, and they saw him not. For, there, for they were shut out from his presence. Oh, that's sad. It would be so hard. And he gave unto them commandments that they should worship the Lord their God and should offer the firstlings of their flocks for an offering unto the Lord. And Adam was obedient unto the commandments of the Lord. And after many days, an angel of the Lord appeared unto Adam, saying, Why dost thou offer sacrifices unto the Lord? And Adam said unto him, I know not, save the Lord commanded me. And I love that because sometimes we don't know why we do things, but maybe our parents commanded us or maybe our, maybe the Lord has commanded us and we don't know why we're doing things. But it's important to know the why. Um, but also it shows obedience and it shows that you are being willing to sacrifice your will for um, the Lord, when you obey his commandments without knowing the reason why. And so it's not bad to obey without knowing your why. It just gives you more reason to obey when you do know the why. Um, but you still are blessed whether you know the why or not. And that is important to know because Satan is going to try and trick you to tell you that if you don't know why you're doing something, it's not worth doing. But of course it is. Of course it is worth doing still because it is a commandment of the Lord. Um, and said, let's see, that verse 8 or verse 7. And this, this is the angel talking and it tells him why. Oh, also there is another, there's a talk. Um, and I think it's also by Elder Dieter F. Dorf. 
Um, but he's, I remember him saying something like, the Lord knows something that we don't know. And so it's so true. We obey because we know that the Lord knows something that we don't know. And if we don't know it yet, then it's okay to, um, to obey his commandments until we are able to get our own knowledge. Or for example, we're, it's okay to rely on your parents' testimony, but you do need to get your own testimony, right? So, um, and that's important because our testimonies will only get you so far. Our borrowed testimonies can only get you so far. And we need you to go real far. So we need you to get your own testimony, not just ours. Um, so number seven, and they, then the angel spake saying, this thing is a similitude of the sacrifice of the only begotten of the father, which is full of grace and truth. Wherefore thou shalt do all that thou doest in the name of the son, and thou shalt repent and call upon God in the name of the son forevermore. And in that day, so now he knows, like, this is in the similitude of Jesus Christ. No wonder. And now he's probably like, this is awesome. Had I known, I would been doing more. So it says, and in that day, the Holy Ghost fell upon Adam, which beareth record of the father and the son saying, I am the only begotten of the father from the beginning, henceforth and forever, that as thou hast fallen, thou mayest be redeemed and all mankind, even as many as will. And in that day, Adam blessed God and was filled and began to prophesy concerning all the families of the earth, saying, Blessed be the name of God, for because of my transgression, my eyes are opened. And in this life, I shall have joy. And again, in the flesh, I shall see God. And Eve, his wife, heard all these things and was glad, saying, Were it not for our transgression, we never would have had seed and never should have known good and evil and the joy of our redemption and the eternal life, which God giveth unto all the obedient." I love that. And Adam and Eve blessed the name of God and they made all things known unto their sons and their daughters. But then in verse 13, of course, because when, when you're feeling the spirit, somebody's coming and Satan came along them saying, I am also a son of God. And he commanded them saying, believe it, believe it not. And they believed it not. And they loved Satan more than God. And men began from that time forth to be carnal, sensual, and devilish. And the Lord God called upon men by the Holy Ghost everywhere and commanded them that they should repent. And as many as believed in the Son and repented of their sins should be saved. And as many as believed not and repented not should be damned. And the words went forth out of the mouth of God in a firm decree, wherefore they must be fulfilled. Okay, so we're reading up to 15. That was up to 15. Okay, so we have a couple of commentaries. It says, we can be glad. So every girl and woman who makes and keeps sacred covenants can have a mother heart. Here is no lim- There is no limit to what a woman with a mother heart can accomplish. Righteous women have changed the course of history and will continue to do so. And their influence will spread and grow exponentially throughout the eternities. How grateful I am to the Lord for trusting women with the divine mission of motherhood. Like Mother Eve, I am glad to know these things. Sister Julie B. Beck, April 2004 General Conference. Um, as the gospel was given to Adam and Eve, they made all things known unto their sons and their daughters. Marion G. Romney used these scriptures to teach the pattern for gospel teaching. He said, 
because no one can be saved without a knowledge of the gospel, the Lord himself set the pattern as to how it should be taught in order that everyone can be taught. He himself came to his son, Adam, and taught him the gospel and directed him to teach his children. The record says that Adam and Eve made all things known unto their sons and their daughters. They instructed their sons and daughters to follow their example. We know that the faithful ones of them did so because we read that Jared, the sixth generation from Adam, taught his son in all the ways of God. We, knew, we know that the unfaithful did not teach their children because the Lord said that the blood of those who were drowned in the flood would be required at the hands of their fathers. The basis on which the Lord holds the parents responsible for untaught children, he explained to Ezekiel when he told him that when he gave notice and the watchmen did not warn the wicked that they would be destroyed, the blood would be required at the hands of the watchmen. Oh, snap. Marion G. Romney, April 1969 General Conference. Okay, this is big. So the blood would be required at the hands of the watchmen. See Ezekiel 3.18. I'm going to need to earmark that because it kind of stands out to me because I feel like I was going to make that uh, podcast, the Warrior Woman podcast, a podcast titled Watch Woman. (laughs) And maybe that's that's what I want to change it to. I don't know. Um, But that's how I feel that I am. And so when I read things I'm like I need to share that I need to share that I need to share that and when I don't I can see that the blood will be required at the hands of the watch women and it's true if I don't share the things that I'm needing to share then that will be required of me um so be watchful (laughs) Moses 5 13 15 as Adam and Eve uh so this is a commentary on that as Adam and Eve taught the pure gospel satan came among them saying i am also a son of god and he commanded them saying believe it not and they believed it not and they loved satan more than god soon after the garden uh so soon after the garden and so quickly they were led astray even with righteous parents like adam and eve president nelson referenced this verse when he said in 2019 brethren we need to do better and be better because we are in a battle the battle with sin is real the adversary is quadrupling his efforts to disrupt testimonies and impede the work of the lord he is arming his minions with potent weapons to keep us from partaking of the joy and love of the of the lord this was april 2019 general conference so for real we need to up our game right um okay verse 16 See where are we at? Also, we're on verse five. That's good. We're in chapter five. This is good because I gotta get Flora soon. <sighs> Did I say fifteen or sixteen? Sixteen. And Adam and Eve, his wife, ceased not to call upon God. That's good because they had children that went astray and children that were killing peeps, and they didn't. They kept calling on God, and Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain. Oh, just kidding. That, this is the beginning. <laughs> it's because I had read that in the other chapter that I'm, like, confused as to where I'm at. Okay, so um, she conceived and bare Cain and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord, wherefore he may not reject his words. But behold, Cain hearkened not, saying, Who is the Lord that I should know him? 
And she again conceived and bare his brother Abel. And Abel hearkened unto the voice of the Lord. And Abel was a keeper of the sheep. But Cain was a tiller of the ground. And Cain loved Satan more than God. And Satan commended him, saying, Make an offering unto the Lord. Or commanded him. And in process of time it came to pass that Cain brought the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And Abel he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering. But unto Cain and to his offering he had not respect. Now Satan knew this, and it pleased him. And Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. And the Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth? Why is thy countenance fallen? If thou doest well, thou shalt be accepted. And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door, and Satan desireth to have thee. And except thou shalt hearken unto my commandments, I will deliver thee up, and it shall be unto thee according to his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. Okay, so verse 24, we're stopping there. Um, says, or actually verse 24 and 25. For from this time forth, thou shalt be the father of his lies. Thou shalt be called perdition, for thou wast also before the world. And it shall be said in time to come that these abominations were had from Cain, for he rejected the greater counsel which was had from God. And this and this is a cursing which I will put upon thee, except thou repent. Okay, we're going to read 26. And Cain was wroth and listened not any more to the voice of the Lord, neither to Abel his brother, who walked in holiness before the Lord. And Adam and his wife mourned before the Lord because of Cain and his brethren. And it came to pass that Cain took one of his brother's daughters to wife, and they loved Satan more than God. And Satan said unto Cain, Swear unto me by thy throat, and if thou tell it, thou shalt die, and swear thy brethren by their heads, and by the living God, that they tell it not. For if they tell it, they shall surely die, and this, that thy father may not know it. And this day I will deliver thy brother Abel into thine hands. And Satan swore unto Cain that he would do according to his commands, and all these things were done in secret. And Cain said, Truly I am Mahan the master of this great secret, that I may murder and get gain. Wherefore, Cain was called Master Mahan, and he gloried in his wickedness. So right there, he did things to get gain. And I like in One Minute Scripture Study, they pointed out that um, Cain did things to get gain, and that is why... He wasn't trying to obey God. And that's why the sacrifices that he made did not please God because his heart was not in them because he did things to get gain um, himself. That means like to make himself profit. Um, And something that stood out to me with this, um, sorry, verse 30, it kind of reminds me of verse Moses 4, 1, where we talked about um, <clears throat> where, where Satan basically was trying to say that he was wanting to change the plan, that he wanted to be the one that was going to save everyone, and then everybody didn't need to have a choice, that everybody could just come back and be saved, and Anyway, um, 
I really like what the One Minute Scripture Study peeps talked about. Um, This one's from Kristen Walker-Smith. She said, I can still remember so clearly the day I sat in a Sunday school class in which we were talking about the pre-mortal world. One class member raised their hand and said, you know, I sometimes wonder if maybe Satan was just really loved all his brothers and sisters and wanted them to make it back to God. At the time, I felt that that statement was wrong, but wasn't sure how to prove it. As it turned out, Moses 4.1 proved it for me. In this verse, the Lord explained to Moses that Satan presented an alternative when the father presented his plan of happiness in the pre-mortal world. As you read Moses 4.1, I want you to look for how many times Satan says the words, I and me. How many times did you count Satan saying I and me? Okay, so we're going to go just really quick back and read verse 1. It says, And I, the Lord God, spake unto Moses, saying that Satan, whom thou hast commanded in the name of mine only begotten, is the same which was from the beginning. And he came before me, saying, Behold, here am I, send me. I will be thy son, and I will redeem all mankind, that one soul should not be lost, and surely I will do it. Wherefore, give me thine honor. So she said then, I counted six times. Those six times make it perfectly clear who matters most to Satan, himself. Satan did not want to be suffering, uh, didn't want to be a suffering savior. He refused to be the savior to the world full of people who would sin, all of which he would have to pay for. No, he wanted all the glory without any of the sacrifices. For Satan, it always has been and always will be about one person, him. So let's remember that when we're um when we're thinking about the way that he does things, you know. Also, um another tactic that the adversary tries is um remember when God warned Adam and Eve not to eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil because in that day they would that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. So God spoke the truth to Adam and Eve. And as soon as they ate the fruit, God knew that he would have to be separated from them, which meant temporary spiritual death for Adam and Eve. Sometime after God gave this direction, Satan showed up tempting Eve to eat the forbidden fruit. In direct opposition to what God had said, Satan told Eve, ye shall not surely die, for God doth know that in that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be open and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. Did you notice that Satan, what Satan did there? He told a lie packaged inside of the truth. Adam and Eve would in fact know good from evil if they ate the fruit. They also wouldn't physically die right away, but what Satan conveniently left out was the immediate spiritual death they would experience, their physical separation from God that would occur after eating the fruit and introducing it sin into the world. Satan does the exact same thing with us now. He packages his lies inside of carefully crafted truths. One time won't hurt. Doesn't reveal that one time often leads to another and another and ends in addiction. No one has to know. Doesn't reveal that you, the Savior, and your Heavenly Father will all know exactly what you did. When we feel a temptation come, we need to unwrap the truths to find the lie hidden underneath. I kind of like that. So um, the first thing that I shared was Jesus was a suffering savior to remember that. And then the second part that I just read about uh, Kristen Walker Smith, temptation is full of lies. So let's remember those things as we are continuing to read through these uh, chapters, but also 
just in life, you know, um, it is super helpful to remember these things. Also, my battery died from my iPad, so I don't have more quotes from the redheaded hostess until that turns back on, but I need to keep reading because, um, I need to be able to finish, um, so that I can take a nap. <laughs> Because, can you hear? I'm still sick. Okay, and Finn was so willing to take care of Flora. So, and Satan, so verse 30, and Satan swore unto Cain that he would do according to his commands. And all these things were done in secret. And Cain said, oh, you know what? And let's remember that Satan is always wanting us to do things in secret. Like as if anybody is really going to be able to hide things. Just like they said, uh, or just like Kristen Walker Smith said, like, you can't hide anything from yourself, right? And we know that self-deception is the worst kind of deception that can happen in our lives. Because really, who are we trying to deceive in the long run? We're just deceiving ourselves in the long run. So if Satan's trying to convince you to do something against your own like moral values, um, you're the one who's going to suffer. You're the one who's going to suffer because... Satan's not going to suffer and the people around you will suffer, but they'll get better. Right. And whether they forgive you or not, who knows, but they'll get better because they know what's wrong and right. But you are going to be the one who suffers the most in the end, you know? Um, so don't do things in secret. And there's actually a quote or something that says a a man's character is determined by what he does when no one is watching. And I love that. Um, I will look it up. <laughs> Actually, you go look it up <laughs> because I don't know what time to look it up. Um, okay, so and Satan, okay, so that was verse 30. Moses 5.30, Satan is always trying to get you to do things in secret. Don't do things in secret. Okay, 31. And Cain said, truly, I am Mahan, the master of this great secret that I may murder and get gain. Oh, I already read that. No worries. Wherefore, Cain was called Master Mahan, and he glorified in his wickedness. Or, and he gloried in his wickedness. And Cain went into the field, and Cain talked with Abel, his brother. And it came to pass that while they were in the field, Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and slew him. Ah, this is so sad. Um, A mother, as a mother who has sons who are brothers, this would be so devastating and makes me want to put a camera on both of them. You know what I mean? Like, let's put a camera on both you guys. No, we don't love you. We don't love one more than the other. We don't love um, either one of you any less than the other person. It's a whole complete love for each one of you individually for the person that you are. And if you even touch your brother, you will have serious consequences. You know what I mean? Because your mom will be so sad. We prayed for all of you guys to come and we will not be getting rid of you that quickly from your brother being jealous of you and then he wanted to kill you, you know? That's not cool. We don't accept that. Okay, so, and so yeah. And Cain gloried in that which he had done, saying, I'm free, surely the flocks of my brother falleth unto my hands. Yeah, he's dumb. He's totally deceived by Satan. Of course, his flocks are going to fall to his hands flocks will go to somebody more responsible okay 34 and more loving and more charitable and somebody who actually cares about the family not just himself 34 and the lord said unto cain where is abel thy brother and he said i know not am i my brother's keeper Um, yeah who else 
Um, if the Lord didn't send him into your family, <laughs> why would you think that you are not your brother's keeper? Of course he is. Of course you are. You guys are each other's keepers. You're, it's your jobs to make sure we all get back to Heavenly Father. Okay. And the Lord said, what hast thou done? The voice of thy brother's blood cries unto me from the ground. And because of course you can't hide from the Lord. And now he was just giving him an opportunity to probably repent is what I'm guessing. And now thou shalt be cursed from the earth, which hath opened her mouth to receive thy brother's blood from thy hand. When thou tillest the ground, it shall not henceforth yield up or yield unto thee her strength. A fugitive and a vagabond shall thou be in the earth. And Cain said unto the Lord, Satan tempted me because of my brother's flocks, and I was wroth also for his offering thou didst accept and not mine. My punishment is greater than I can bear. Um, so right here, like, he was a little bit jealous that his brother's sacrifice was accepted and not his. Well, okay, three things. One, I love that so we know that Cain loved and was able to work the ground so good, right? And he was like really good at bringing forth fruit and veggies. And that was his, his passion and his talent. And the Lord uh, like took that away from him, you know, because when you're not a good steward over your stuff, over those blessings and you're not doing good things, he can take, you're not doing good things with them. He can take them away. And so I love that we see that here played out that the Lord giveth your blessings and your talents and your gifts, and he can take them away when you are not using them, um, to help others and to bless others lives. In fact, it was, he was now trying to say that the Lord didn't accept his gifts. And of course he would accept his gifts. Those were gifts that he gave to Cain. Why wouldn't he accept his gifts? But it wasn't about that. It was, it was because Cain was already had his mind set on listening and obeying uh, the adversary and had already made covenants with Satan. And so he was just saying like, oh no, you know, you didn't even accept my offering. And that's not even true, right? Because he would have accepted his offering had it really come from his heart, but he had already given his heart to somebody else. Um, but now Cain's all trying to play the, the victim, like Satan tempted me because of my brother's flocks. No, that's not like, so you were tempted because you guys have different skills and gifts for sure. I get that. You know, I can understand that. I get jealous of my peeps who have other things, you know, and not me. Um, and then he says, and I was wroth also. And for his offering, thou didst accept and not mine. But that's not true, right? Because he didn't really try to give his offering. He never actually tried real hard to give like a real offering to the Lord. But now he says his punishment is greater than he can bear because he, the Lord took his gift away because he didn't use his gift in a good way. And so those are lots of lessons we can learn there. Um, so don't get tricked by Satan because Satan's going to 
make us see what other people have and is going to make us want those things. And then we're going to try and make an offering of our things and we're going to think it's not good enough, but it is. But we need to be all in with our offering to the Lord and, and, and have faith that our gifts um, are enough for him. Like, and just devote yourself to the Lord. And we won't be worried about other people's gifts and the things that we don't have um, if we live with that grateful heart. But it's hard, I know. Okay. Behold, thou hast driven me out this day from the face of the Lord, and from thy face shall I be hid. And I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond in the earth, and it shall come to pass that he that findeth me will slay me because of mine iniquities, for these things are not hid from the Lord. And I, the Lord, said unto him, Whosoever slayeth thee, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And I, the Lord, set a mark upon Cain, lest any finding him should kill him. So he wanted Cain to suffer. He wanted him to see what it's like um, because it's not about what Satan was wanting. He wanted him to see exactly what, what Satan was tricking him um, and how Satan was tricking him is why... Um, I don't necessarily think he is super mean and evil that he's trying to torture him, but I think that he was trying to help him understand, like, this is not um, a punishment because I didn't accept your offering, but this is a punishment because I want you to see that the deceiver deceived you and how he deceives you. I want you to see that so that, um, so that he'll be able to know how to repent, maybe, you know, like... Because he's still alive, and so he still has that chance. Like, this is the time to prepare to meet God, right? Um, and Cain was shut out from the presence of the Lord, <clears throat> and with his wife and many of his brethren dwelt in the land of Nod in the, in the, on the east of Eden. And Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bare Enoch, and he also begat many sons and daughters. And he builded a city, and he called the name of the city after the name of his son Enoch. And unto Enoch was born Irad and other sons and daughters. And Irad begat Mehujal and other sons and daughters. And Mehujal begat Methuselah. Mehujal and begat Methuselah. And other sons and daughters. And Methuselah begat Lamech. And Lamech took unto himself two wives, the name of one being Ada and the name of the other Zilha. And Ada bore Jabal. He was the father of such as dwell in tents, and they were keepers of cattle. And his brother's name was Jabal, who was the father of all such as handle the harp and organ. I love that they share their gifts with us um, and their talents. I like, I really like that. And Zilha, she also bare Tubalcane, an instructor of every artificer in brass and iron. And the sister of Tubalcane was called Naamah. What I also love is, even though they didn't tell us about their mothers, like the details of Zilha and Ada, we can tell what kind of interests they had based on the interests that their kids had, right? Um, and maybe what their, what their fathers were interested in based on what they're interested in. <coughs> because sometimes kids like the things that their fathers and their mothers like. Like Finn loves entrepreneurship because of Clark and I, 
And Faust will probably do the same because of us. And they love dogs just like I do. And I mean, Clark says he, your dad says he doesn't love dogs, but he totally loves dogs. He had dogs. He had a dog growing up and he had a duck who he treated like a dog. So (coughs) anyways, um, and then, um, and Zilha, she bore, she also bear Tubal Cain, an instructor of every artificer in brass and iron. Maybe the, maybe his mom loved jewelry. I don't know, you know. And the sister of Tubal Cain was called Naama. And Lamech said unto his wives, Ada and Zilha, hear my voice, you wives of Lamech, hearken unto my speech, for I have slain a man to my wounding and a woman and a young man to my hurt. If Cain shall be avenged sevenfold, sevenfold, truly Lamech shall be seventy and sevenfold. For Lamech, having entered into a covenant with Satan after the manner of Cain, wherein he became master Mahan, master of that great secret which was administered unto Cain by Satan. And Irad, the sons of Enoch, having known their secret, began to reveal it unto the sons of Adam. And what was the secret? It was that they would kill people to their gain or just to do things to their gain. Like they would, and they kept those things secret. Wherefore, 50, we're on verse, Moses 5, verse 50. Wherefore, Lamech being angry, slew him, not like unto Cain, his brother Abel, for the sake of getting gain, but he slew him for the oath's sake. Oh, great. So now they're doing it for like no reason. (laughs) And when I say the oath's sake, if you click on oath, um, we need to look it up in the topical guide. And I guess he swear it was like an oath, covenant, promise, plow, a uh, plow, a vow, secret combination. Um, and so he made a secret combination with Satan, I guess. For from the days of Cain, there was a secret combination. There it is. And their works were in the dark, and they knew every man his brother. Ew, don't, don't go after your brothers. That's, that's so bad. It's wicked. 52. Wherefore the Lord cursed Lamech and his house and all them that had covenanted with Satan. For they kept not the commandments of God, and it displeased God, and he ministered not unto them. Well, of course not. He couldn't. They didn't want him there. And their works were abominations and began to spread among all the sons of men. And it was among the sons of men. And among the daughters of men, these things were not spoken because that Lamech had spoken the secret unto his wives and they rebelled against him and declared things abroad and had not compassion. Wherefore Lamech, well, of course the wives aren't going to love this idea. You guys are killing our children. Wherefore, Lamech was despised and cast out and came not among the sons of men, lest he should die. And thus the works of darkness began to prevail among all the sons of men. And God cursed the earth with a sore curse and was angry with the wicked, with all the sons of men whom he had made. For they would not hearken unto his voice, nor believe on his own, on His only begotten Son, even him whom he declared should come in the meridian of time who was prepared for uh, who was prepared from before the foundation of the world and thus the gospel began to be preached from the beginning being declared by holy angels sent forth from the presence of god and by his own voice and by the gift of the holy ghost and thus all things were confirmed unto adam by an holy ordinance and the gospel preached and a decree sent forth 
that it should be in the world until the end thereof. And thus it was. Amen. Wow. A lot of, lot of stuff happening there, peeps. Okay, my iPad just came back. So there's a lot of good quotes that are going to help us with these scriptures. And then we'll be done. Um, which is sad because I really want to... We could spend so much time on just these two chapters. Um, okay, so... From the Moses chapter, or from Moses verses 26 to 28, it says, Apparently Cain listened to the Lord to some degree, since this verse explains that he listened not anymore to the voice of the Lord. So he started, right? Therefore, it causes us to ask ourselves what it means that Cain said, Who is the Lord that I should know him? So the issue may not have been belief, but rather where he wanted to put his trust. Who did he want to know? He wanted to know Satan, for Cain loved Satan more than God, is what it says. And now Cain was in a position to be taken to greater depths of wickedness. And then 29 to 33, apparently Abel had worked to obtain a substantial enough flock of sheep to attract Cain's jealous eye. Cain's desire to have Abel's flock was Satan's opportunity to introduce secret combinations to the earth. Notice in verse 29 that Cain was not alone in the in the secret oath, for there were brethren involved that must keep the secret or they would die. When Cain killed Abel, murder was introduced to the earth. Notice Cain's response, I am free, he said in verse 33. But he will soon learn that he was not free. He will be chained like never before. Gospel scholar Hugh Nibley taught this about Cain's story. Having deliberately severed all connection with the, his heavenly father, Cain was free to enter a formal agreement with Satan by which he would receive instruction in the techniques of achieving power and gain. Cain gloried in the power of his newfound skill and dialect, declaring that it made him free. Plainly, this is not the conventional novel of Cain and Abel in which an impetuous adolescent loses his head and brains and brains his spoiled brother in a fit of jealousy it is a carefully planned and executed operation in which cain slew his brother abel for the sake of getting gain dismissing his conscience with the thought that all this that all was fair and square since abel was quite capable of taking care of himself am i my brother's keeper <clears throat> okay hold on Okay, and then Cain thought that he could secretly slay his brother, and no one would know. He thought the secret would protect him, and then he could enrich himself, but someone did know. Obviously, we talked about this already. The Lord knew, and he, his all-seeing eye will bring certain punishment. Although Cain had chosen Satan, he would learn that the Lord's punishments are sure and unavoidable. Even as the Lord confronts Cain, Cain's response is chilling. Am I my brother's keeper? To which the Lord responds, what hast thou done? President Alan H. Oaks taught, Cain set the pattern of the world. Are we our brother's keepers? In other words, are we responsible to look after the well-being of our neighbors as we seek to earn our daily bread? The Savior's golden rule says we are. Satan says we are not. Tempted of Satan, some have followed the example of Cain. They covet property and then sin to obtain it. The sin may be murder, robbery, or theft. It may be fraud or deception. It may even be some clever but illegal or some clever but legal manipulation of facts or influence to take unfair advantage of another. Always the excuse is the same. Am I my brother's keeper? Those who follow the example of Cain fulfill a Book of Mormon prophecy seen 
seeing our day, Nephi prophesied that many would say, lie a little, take a, take the advantage of one because of his words, dig a pit for thy neighbor. There is no harm in this. This is found in Second Nephi chapter 28, verse 8. We live in a world where many look on the marketplace as a ruthless arena where the buyer must beware or must, sorry, must beware where no one is obligated to do more than the law requires and where fraud isn't fraud unless you can prove it in court. Members of the Church of Jesus Christ have a higher standard. President Harold B. Lee said the standard in the church must be visibly higher than the standard in the world. We are commanded to live the golden rule. President Dallin H. Oaks, October 1986 General Conference. Cain, who had been a tiller of the ground, is now cursed that the earth will no longer yield unto unto thee her strength. He was also cursed to be a fugitive and a vagabond. Elder Maxwell pointed out the irony since Cain was boasting in his freedom. This narrow view prevailed when Cain slew Abel and then gloried and boasted. Behold, now I'm free. Free, yes, free to be a fugitive and a vagabond. In the stretching desert he had made of his own life. And that's Elder Neely Maxwell in his BYU speech titled Meek and Lowly, October 21st, 1986. Moses, Cain, uh, sorry, Cain's destructive choices were passed through the generations after him. Verse 41 explains that they went and dwelt in the land of Nod. Hugh Nibley offered this insight into the word Nod. Nod means to move back and forth. Nud is the same word in Hebrew. What do you do when you move back and forth? Well, you migrate. You are a people that have no settled position. The migrants and nomads of Central Asia tour and follow the grass with the seasons. They are always on the march. Or the Arabs with their camels. These nomadic peoples live in the land of Nod, which means migrating or nomadism, uh, which might sorry, means migrating or nomadism. The basic meaning is not to say in one position, but to go this way, then this way, and then this way. In summer, you go up to the summer pasture. In winter, you go down to the winter pasture. So he went to the land of Nod, east of Eden, and that's where they are going to live for the rest of their days. That sounds awful. Um, Nibley, Ancient Documents and the Pearl of Great Price. Page two. So I guess the land of Nod means that they just kept moving uh, to the same places back and forth. That's awful. It sounds so boring and pointless, which is exactly what kind of life I would expect if I'm going to choose wickedness over happiness or over righteousness, you know? Okay. Um, verses 22. Or 42 to 50, explain how the sins of Cain are passed through his posterity, even until his great-great-great-grandson, Lamech, who also became Master Mahan. Lamech slew his great-grandfather, Irad, because he was revealing the great secret which was administered unto Cain by Satan, unto others. So Lamech slew Irad for the oath's sake, and Lamech became Master Mahan, and their works were abominations and began to spread among all the sons of men. Lamech told his wives that he had what he had done, and his wives, Ada and Zilda, rebelled against him. <laughs> Good job, Ada and Zilda. You guys, go girls. <clears throat> and told others that he what he had done. So Lamech's find so Lamech finds himself despised and cast out. Again, same, you know, and now afraid for his own life. 
Now we have two examples between Cain and Lamech that prove that Satan will promise the world and in the end deliver misery. And where's Satan now? How come they aren't talking about how much Satan is providing for their lives? Yeah, because he's gone. He doesn't need to help them anymore because he got them to do what he wanted them to do, which was destroy their lives. Um, And then another couple quotes and then we'll be done. Oh, man. I'm supposed to be taking it. Okay. Hugh Nibley gave this great insight to point at the great righteousness that existed among the spreading evil, right? Because sometimes you think, man, there was so much evil. So is there no relief in this in the terrible picture? There is. All this time, the gospel was being declared by holy angels and by the gift of the Holy Ghost, while all things were confirmed unto Adam by an holy ordinance in the assurance that the gospel should be in the world until the end thereof. Adam, having lost Abel, got another son, Seth, to carry on his work. From him comes that line of successors in the priesthood, duly registered in the book of life, from which the wicked were excluded. After Seth came Enos, who decided to make an important move. Since in those days Satan had great dominion among men and raged in their hearts, causing wars and bloodshed, and administering death because of their secret work seeking for power, exactly as in the modern world, Enos gathered together the residue of the people of God, and with them migrated out of the country and dwelt in the land of promise. Named Canaan, after his son, the line of Seth, Enos, Canaan, Mahaliel, Jared, Enoch, Methuselah, Lamech, and Noah. This is from Hugh Nibley, Enzyme, December 1976. The gospel that Adam had was the same as the gospel today. It was declared unto them by holy angels and confirmed by an holy ordinance. What is the gospel? In its fullness, the gospel includes all the doctrines, principles, laws, ordinances, and covenants necessary for us to be exalted in the celestial kingdom. Okay, so the beginning... Oh, boy batteries running out again beginning with adam the gospel of jesus christ was preached and the essential ordinances of salvation such as baptism were administered through a family-based priesthood order that was elder d todd christopherson october 2015 general conference elder neely maxwell said the gospel of jesus christ was taught and its ordinances administered in adam's time in the dawn of human history that was 1993 general conference of uh, october and and then neil a maxwell also said in 1992 Adam had the fullness of Christ's gospel and all its ordinances. Um, hence, Christianity did not begin with Jesus, mortal with Jesus's mortal messiahship in the meridian of time in Jerusalem. The diffusion which followed Adam naturally resulted in some similarities in various religions. Therefore, as President Joseph Fielding Joseph F. Smith declared, we find relics of Christianity which date back beyond the flood, independent of the Bible. Latter-day Saints are therefore unsurprised, but instead are enriched whenever discoveries are made, which show how the Lord grants unto all nations to teach a portion of his word. And then, this is going to be our last quote, for real. And President John Taylor, Journal Discourses, he says, The same gospel that Adam had, the same gospel that Noah had, the same gospel that Abraham had, the same gospel that the prophets had, the same gospel that Jesus had, and also the same gospel that the Nephites had here upon this continent, and which Jesus revealed to them that they had indeed before he was in the flesh. It is the everlasting gospel which brings life and immortality to light, and which enters into 
all the ramifications of human existence and to the existence of the gods and to the existence of this world and of all other worlds. Journal Discourses 21-111. Okay, that was amazing. So many good quotes. And if you can find a picture of Adam and Eve for this week, that'd be awesome. And it's so cool. All these things downward yet forward. You know, the fall seems like a down kind of a thing. And so some people might look at it as negative and like we hate that it happened. But we can, with hopeful um, optimism, look forward because it allowed us to progress to a different state. Um, Back in the day, my friends used to say, Linda, you've changed. And... Some of these were my friends and some of these were not my friends. And I, back then, I didn't, you know, in high school and in middle school, I didn't really think that that was a good thing. I was like, oh, sad, I changed, you know? And like, you always want to be consistent and stay the same. At least that's how I thought. But now, after like so many years, because now I'm approaching my 42nd year of life. I know better. In fact, if my friends tell me that I've changed, I want that to happen. I need to change. I need to progress. I need to be in a different state at all times and continuing to push forward and just getting better at things. And so if I'm the same person that I was yesterday, I'm going to be sad. If I'm was, if i worse than I was yesterday, I'm sad. Like right now, I feel worse than I felt yesterday. <laughs> But if I'm better than I was yesterday, then that's great. And so, yes, friends, I appreciate you pointing out that I've changed because I'm hoping that I did change too. And hopefully I changed for the better. And I'm hoping that you all change for the better as well. And continue to do that because you guys are already better than the people that we are and the people that we have been because of all the opportunities that you've been given. And you truly are a rising generation, um, rising to your full potential and rising to become the next leaders, the next influencers, the next parents, the next amazing people who are going to enrich this world because we need more light in this world. And that's why you're here. And I love you. And thanks for showing up. You're amazing. And we'll talk to you soon.